0: with the pastor and his wife. They they um, take turns preaching, and they have been going through a book of the Bible for two and a half years. And I thought, okay, I don't have to worry that we're you know we're going to do this at the right pace, and it's okay to take our time because James is such a practical book. So we're continuing on in our series in the book of James, talking about having an authentic faith—not just something that we say, but it is something that we do in the way that we live our life. And so as we as I thought about this passage that we're going to read together. I'm going to read for you in just a minute. I realized that I, I had made an amazing discovery that I think might turn the athletic marketing world upside down. For generations now, Nike has been known for many things. But at least in my generation and probably for many others, what identifies Nike as who they are more than anything else is their company slogan, just do it. You see the swoosh and you see that sign, you have no question in your mind, what, what the product is. Now, I just assumed all my life that Nike and the owner, Phil Knight, kind of made all that up on their own with their marketing team. But I don't think that's true. My research this week, I have come to believe that they that they borrowed, I will be careful, they borrowed this slogan from the Bible. Actually, they took it from the passage that we're going to read together in just a minute. And it's found in the first verse of our text, So if you have a Bible in front of you, if you want to follow along on the screen or smartphone, however you have the Word in front of you, we're going to be turning to James chapter 1, as you saw in your bulletin, verses 22 through 25. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning as we read God's Word together. Would you do that with me in honor of the reading of His Holy Word? James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. That's where I got the just do it. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Some of us want to do that on purpose. That's not what James is talking about. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. You may be seated, and may God add his reading, blessed to the reading of his word. Have, have everyone on this side of the sanctuary loved uh, watching yourself worship today? Aren't you so grateful that I did that for you? I, I, uh, I was worshiping the Lord in song, and then I looked up, and I was like, oh, that's what I look like when I worship. <laughs> Who, what pastor put that there? <laughs> But it's just a reminder for us that that we all give a reflection. Our life is a reflection of something and someone, oftentimes, as we'll get into what is down deep inside. How many of you have a routine when you get up in the morning? Most of you do. Um, And uh, I can't say that I usually stumble. My routine is that I usually stumble out into the kitchen and try to think of what I'm going to eat for breakfast. I get up in the morning and food is like the first thing on my mind. And many of you may have a similar kind of routine. For some of you, you may get up and coffee is the first thing that you do. You walk to the coffee pot and you push the button or you do whatever it is to turn on the coffee pot because you cannot even think about thinking about thinking until you get that coffee going down the hatch. Maybe some of you were trained in the military. The first thing you get up when you do in the morning is you make your bed. And that is the first thing you do before anything else. And then you don't have to worry about it the rest of the day. And I think that's probably wisdom in there. I do not have that problem in my own life. Some of you have to brush your teeth first thing. you do not going to go anywhere until you get the mouth smelling pretty rosy. Some of you start your ritual the night before. You lay out your clothes. You get your tie out. You get your shoes out, your socks. Make sure that everything's ready to go for the next morning. Some of you pour your coffee and get it all ready the night before. We all have a ritual in some way, and for most of us, more than likely, at some point in our morning ritual, we come face-to-face with this guy here. Now, thanks to John and Linda for letting me borrow this one. It will be going home with you today, and so we will not have that particular mirror to look at anymore. But sometime in our morning ritual, there better be a time where we come face-to-face with ourselves. Most of us get our first glance at ourselves in the mirror And for some of us in the morning, it can be a pretty scary experience. Hopefully, it gets better as you spend a little bit of time helping yourself out. I've looked in the mirror sometimes in the morning, and there was sleep coming out of my eyes, and I had hair coming out of the wrong places. Some of you look in the mirror, and you wish you had hair coming out of some of the places that you don't. And it is a time for self-examination. Sometimes looking in the mirror is not the most pleasant of experiences. Because they're pretty honest about what's there. There's just no hiding. What you see is what you are. And we have to be able to look ourselves in the eye and figure what to do next. It's interesting, when I studied this passage in the, in the New Testament, they didn't have mirrors like we do now. It, was, it basically would be equivalent to looking at, your, at yourself in a spoon, If you want to feel good about your body image, I would not suggest this is the way to go. But in this day and age, the kind of reflective device that they most often had was like um, a metal spoon. And I don't really have anywhere else to go with that except to say, I guess it's good that we have better mirrors. Some mornings it may not be so good. And some days we may be grateful that we have something to look at in order to make sure that everything is just the right way. The fact of the matter is it's much better for us to start our day facing us in the way we are in order to make sure that the image we reflect is something that is pleasing and presentable to the people around us. I can remember waking up a couple weeks ago in the morning and I got out of bed and felt like any other you know, morning was and I stumbled out to the kitchen and, and uh, kind of had an idea what I was going to make everyone for breakfast and then I went back to the bathroom to wash my face And I had one of either my daughter or my wife's hair bow sticking, hanging on my ear. Just a black hair bow. And I hadn't felt it was there. I had no idea it was there. But I looked in the mirror and realized that I had a wardrobe malfunction. Thankfully, it was a safe one. And so I go, oh, I probably better take that off. That is not really what I want drawing people's attention as I go about this day. And so we need to be thankful for those opportunities to look at our reflection and to see things as they are, and then ask God how we can take care of maybe what we see. For those outward things, it usual. is pretty simple. Take the bow out of your hair for the, for the guys most of the time. For some of you, it may be something different, but there is this opportunity to behold ourselves in all of our glory or lack thereof, and then say, all right, what are we going to do to get ready for our day? Remember a time I've shared with those of you who've been coming to First Friends, at least the three years that we've been coming, I've shared at different times about my experience with chaplaincy training. And it was one of the most transformational times for me. But I want to share just for a couple of minutes on this theme of reflection. One of the most difficult things for me to do during all of that time was to sit down at a desk with all, did it together. And for five minutes, I had to stare at myself in the mirror. When I saw myself worshiping, it lasted two seconds, and I was like, all right, I'm going to look up there. For five minutes, I had to look at myself in the mirror, and then I had to draw what I, what I saw. Now, if I was an artist, that might have been a good thing. I, I draw worse than I sing, for those of you who know me. Uh, it, but you could see the shape of my head. But, but for me, it was really difficult to look myself in the eye. Because the longer that I did that, for me, the more of myself that I saw. And there were some things that I saw that I didn't want to see. Now, that wasn't an exercise in destroying your (laughs) self-image. The exercise for us was to take a few minutes out of our day and see things as they really are. Most of us come to the mirror in the morning and we get the bow out of our hair. We make sure all of our buttons are straight. We get our hair combed and our face washed and on we go. It's enough to do what we need to do to function to get through the day and look presentable doing it. And I think that what this passage is getting at is more than just a quick glance, say, I'm ready to go. This is something deep and soul-searching and transformational that James is trying to encourage us to have as a discipline in our life. And I think it's something that we would all be good to do. So if I drive by your house this week and you're staring at a mirror at your table, I will say, good job. I just hope that you survived the experience because it was interesting. So James isn't talking about really a mirror as much as he is talking about the scriptures. He's saying that you listen to the word of God, you listen to direction of God, and if you're the kind of person that hears and then just turns and walks away, you're like the guy who saw himself in the mirror and just forgot who he was. The scripture is the reflective ordinance that God uses to speak to us in our spiritual life. The Word of God is this reflective force that James is talking about. And I want to ask you this morning, do you love God's Word? I mean, I, I told this story maybe here a couple weeks ago. I told it to my kids at home uh, when I first became um, interested in, in things of God Reading the Bible is kind of like taking my medicine. I had to do it because I know I needed it. After a while, it was kind of like toast and jelly. Yeah, it was all right. Not my favorite, but it satisfied me some. And then it became like cake and ice cream. And if you know me, I love cake and ice cream. I mean, I will eat that for breakfast, lunch, dinner, snack, at midnight snack. It, It is, I should probably look at myself in the mirror while I eat ice cream and cake. And maybe look a little deeper than the surface. But I love dessert. Do you love God's word? I mean, do you delight in it? Is does it thrill you? Do you lay awake at night wondering what you should go eat next for your midnight snack? Should I read the book of James and dig deeper before a pastor's next message? Should I look at Proverbs or Revelation? Is there a hunger and a passion in your heart? the word of God because James is inviting us into this reflective experience where we fall deeper in love with the word and deeper in intimacy and relationship to God and as we do those things James reminds us that as we hear with our ears and we listen we talked about listening a couple weeks ago he's encouraging us to be slow to react and quick to hear but then he says once you hear then you just got to do it Do what God has said. And so it's really a simple message that he's telling us today that when you hear something from God, just to go out and do what he said. There's a story told of an old man who lived on a farm in the eastern United States and he had his own grandson there and they lived together alone. Every morning, grandpa would get up early in the morning and he'd sit at his kitchen table and he had an old worn-out Bible that he'd read every day, every morning without fail. And his grandson loved his grandpa and wanted to be exactly like him in every way. But one one day, just the reading was so hard, and he said, Grandpa, I tried to read the Bible just like you, but I don't understand it. And what I do understand, I forget as fast as I close the book. What good does the Bible really do? Well, Grandpa turned quietly from the coal in the stove and said, Take this coal basket down to the river and bring back a basket of water. Pay attention to the words, bring back a basket of water. Ever tried that? The boy did as he was told, and even though all the water leaked out before he could get back to the house, the grandfather laughed and said, you'll have to move a little faster next time, and sent him back to the river to try the basket again. This time the boy ran faster, but again the basket was empty before he made it back home. Out of breath, he told his grandfather that it was impossible to carry water in a basket, and he went to get a bucket instead. No, I don't want a bucket of water, I want a basket of water. You can do this, you're not just not trying hard enough. And he went out to the door to watch the boy try again. At this point, the boy knew it was impossible, but he wanted to show his grandfather that even if he ran as fast as he could, there's no way he'd get all the water to stay in the basket. Running hard back to breath, See, Grandpa, it's useless. All the water drained out. So you think it's useless, huh? Look at the basket. And the boy looked at the basket for the first time and realized that the basket looked different. Instead of a dirty old coal basket, it was clean, all the way around. Grandson, that's what happens when you read the Bible. You might not understand or remember everything that you read, but when you read it and make a purpose, it will change you from the inside out. And that's what James is inviting us to experience in our own lives as we follow him. So James says, when it comes to hearing the word of God and hearing his will to just do it, Just do it in our daily life, and if we could remember that and keep that as a slogan in our life, not necessarily for our purchase of clothing, but for our walk with God when we hear his voice, to just do what God has asked us to do. For some of us, we may be really good at listening, right up to the point where we have to actually act on what we have heard. And for as simple as this phrase, just do it is, for some believers, no matter how hard they want to, they simply can't or won't do it. Maybe they've been coming to church for years, and God's been really clear on some areas of their life. But as the years go by, they hear, and they hear, and they hear, and nothing has really ever changed. We may have known the songs of the church better. We may be able to speak a public prayer in a way that doesn't get ourselves too embarrassed. But when it comes to the hidden areas of our hearts, over the years, we might say not much has really changed. And I'm going to paraphrase James, how James would react to this kind of Christianity. He would say, lovingly, that's a crock. That is not true faith. That is not true Christianity. If you claim to be a child of God, then live like one and act like one. Don't just nod your head in agreement when the pastor makes a good point. The idea is that we follow through in obedient faith what we have heard the Lord say. So he uses a mirror as an illustration of the fact that there are going to be times in our life when we we see a reflection, we hear God speaking to us, and there has to be some steps that we have to take in order to follow him. So the Bible is God's light, pointing truth out into our hearts as we open the word. We see God's reflection and we see our own. He opens our eyes to himself and to the sins in our own life. And God does this as we listen and follow him. So I think James helps us to find this conundrum that some of us find ourselves trapped in. Maybe we're new to the church and we hear, but it's so hard to know what to do next. James says, just do what God has said. For some, it has seemed like we've sat in the pew for years and we've heard the Lord speak. Maybe it's been a while since we've heard him speak, but we become comfortable and complacent and we just don't know how to go on. I think that there's, there may be nothing Satan wants more than this morning for you and I to be comfortable in church. I've never heard anyone say in a long time, Lord, make me uncomfortable so that you would be lifted up. We want to make sure that the songs are all the ones that we like, and Satan gets us more worried about our own preferences than the needs of others. We want to make sure that the sermon isn't too long because the second church is over, we've got somewhere else to go. Missing the chance to build new relationships which might help the church grow and new people feel connected. Make sure you sit in exactly the same spot on the same pew every time you come to church. Everyone shout amen. So I have a friend who did that. He he got tired of this one day because he just felt like that's the way it happened with everyone, and it was just a routine. In their pew, they went through the service, and life went on like that. So one Sunday morning, he had this really crazy idea to mess it all up, and so he said. To everyone, I want you to stand up and I want you to go to the opposite end of the sanctuary. If you're on this side, I want you to go over there. If you're over there, I want you to go over here. If you're in the back, go to the front. If you're in the front, go to the back. If you're in the middle, mix it all up. And everyone just stood there. They were all standing. And I think he probably should have signed his resignation letter right there. (laughs) He was like, is my mic working okay? Yep, everyone heard him. So he went pew by pew. And he's like, all right, you go over there and you guys come over here. And and, uh, it, it just, it threw everyone so off that it wasn't very long until he was packing his bags to go somewhere else. And I think the devil would love us to fall into the same pattern of sitting and listening with very little else going on. In our life, And if we're in that place, then he has us exactly where he wants us. A church full of people content to fill a spot on Sunday morning. To sing a few songs that they better know. And return to their real life unchanged. And I think that is what James is getting at writing to believers. Is that we come to times of worship. We come to time of a message and we hear the word of God. You know, I can't tell you how many people say, I wish God would speak to me. I'm thinking, there's a thousand pages where he's spoken to you. We come to reflect an image of God and we hear his voice. And we sit there in our comfort zone. And we sit there faithfully every Sunday, as often as we can, and then we go home with nothing really changing, and James is saying that kind of Christianity is not what I'm writing about. That's like someone going up to the mirror with his, you know, one of his daughter or wife's head bow in his ear, and you know, oh, that's not a big deal. Some of you may have a lot worse story than that. Where's the power in that kind of Christian life? Where's the testimony of God's changing, transforming grace in the same thing day after day, week after week, year after year? James is saying that is not the way that we are to be living our lives. And so he just really practically simply says that the next time you hear God speak to you in your life, do exactly what he says to do, exactly the way he says to do it, exactly the timing that he says. If God gives you all those facts, at the same time, which I think you and I know he may not always do. I can remember someone came to me, Pastor, God told me, this is not here years ago, God told me to say goodbye to this person, and, and basically I need to not hang out with him anymore. But I'm praying about it more, and we're going to see how it goes. And I scratched my head, and I was like, so what are you praying for again? God already told you what to do, so are you asking for courage to do it? Well, kind of. I hope that he can help me if that's what he wants. You just told me that's what he wants. So what's the, you know, oftentimes when God speaks to us like that, it's very difficult for us sometimes when it it hurts to follow through and do what God has asked us to do. So this morning, I just want to take a couple of minutes remaining um, to look at a couple of the things that James talks about when, when he says this phrase, when you, when you fail to follow through, when you hear God speak and then you just go, huh, ah, back to my life, he says that you deceive yourself. We deceive ourselves in thinking that everything is all right. I can just imagine if I went to, um, that morning I found the hair bow in my hair, went to Levi's school with a bunch of 9 and 10 and 11-year-old boys, you better believe that I heard how crazy I look. <laughs> because every single one of them would go, Levi, what's wrong with your dad? Uh, was that That's the weirdest earring that I've ever seen. And it would have been foolish for me to think that I could have gotten away with doing something like that, and certainly most of us wouldn't consider it. Yet when God speaks sometimes... We deceive ourselves. So I want to talk about three ways that I thought of this week that, that, we, that we come face to face with ourselves or with God and, and we, we have a struggle. And there are probably more ways than this. There's probably more that we could do in our life that, that tracked us from what God is trying to do. But these are, these are the three things that jumped out at me. I'm going to have some scriptures that will support them and then, then we will go out and do what God is asking us to do. One of the things that, ways that we deceive ourselves is by a sense of apathy. I would have to confess to you that when I first got married, I was pretty apathetic about a lot of things. I would, if I used the mirror, I'd go, ah, you know, whatever. You know, people are going to love me just the way I am. And my wife was like, you wearing that together? Go look in the mirror. She's like, you may not care how you look, but I do, because you have a reflection upon me. Some of you are pointing to yourself, and maybe it's a guy thing, that we just like, you know, I am what I am, so love me just the way I am, you know? And uh, there, I guess, is some bit of truth to that, but there were some things that needed worked on, and, and for some of my life, I just didn't care. I just didn't really matter to me. The Bible has a couple of passages that I'd like to read. You'll see it on the screen this may be a different version, but um, from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the words spoken through angels prove steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. He's talking about a kind of purposeful neglect that just, you know, come on Sunday morning and God says, hey, what about that thought that you're struggling with, that you went? What about that friendship that you have that isn't really good for you? And you go, yeah, I'm fine. Deal with it, God. We do that a lot, whether we want to admit it or not. We, the Holy Spirit speaks to us, and we just kind of shrug our shoulders and go, eh, you know, no big deal. And the danger is that we develop that as a, as a pattern of relating to God. It's, it is, becomes our discipline that when the Holy Spirit speaks to us, no matter how little or how big the issue is, we find in our own way to go, eh, no big deal. I got next week to work on it. Revelation chapter 3 has maybe the harshest words in all of the Bible about what God says about a congregation or a church or a person who gets to this place in their life where it's, ah, nothing really matters that much. You'll see it on the screen, Revelation chapter 3, starting with verse 14. To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire." that you may be rich in white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. And how many times have we walked by the mirror of the Holy Spirit in our life and he's tried to share something about the way we're living and it just doesn't even affect us. And a lifetime of living like that will develop the kind of apathy that's found in Revelation chapter 3, and just said matter-of-factly, it makes God sick. And James says, why would you deceive yourselves into thinking that's an okay way of being a disciple of Christ? You claim to be his follower, then live like it. Do what he says. Be a listener, intently hearing the word of God, and then do exactly as he tells you to. I've shared about this before as well. Another way that we deceive ourselves is is a sense of busyness. How many times have you made your time in the mirror the last thing that you do? You eat your breakfast, you have your coffee, you make your bed, you get the car warmed up if it's cold outside, and you run up to the mirror and say, oh, I'm good, okay, you know, I'm going, and your fly was undone. Or, you know, your your shirt was buttoned the wrong way, and then you get to work and you get all embarrassed because they they straighten you out, and it's happened to every one of us. We are too busy to take the time to, to really take stock of reflection that we see in the mirror. We're so busy going and doing that we never take the time. Take those five minutes like we did in chaplaincy class and look deep into ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to look deep into us and have our listening ears on and a heart then that is willing to follow God wherever he will lead us to go. I think for some of us it's a lack of priorities. We're busy because we go from one thing to the next. We may not have a plan for our day or for our week or for anything. And so we just go from one thing to the next to the next. And and some of those really important personal self-care times, times alone with God, just get neglected not because we set out to purposely ignore God, but we never set out to purposely focus on him and our relationship with him. And so because of the default way of our busy life, then we just, it just doesn't happen. And we fall into kind of a spiritual busyness that leads to a life of apathy and neglect that we read about in Hebrews chapter 2. There's another kind of busyness, I think, that prevails in our world today, and I'm sure we've all seen it, and maybe even been tempted by it ourselves, is that is a Purposeful busyness in order to avoid some things that are uncomfortable for us, like spending time alone looking at ourselves in the reflection of God's Word. We stay busy in order to avoid what might be most painful or most uncomfortable. We know that that mirror is waiting for us. Remember, as a teenager, as most teenagers, struggled with acne. I just had this particular month where it was horrible. And I did everything I could to avoid the mirror in my dad's house. I mean, I was going all over the place. The last thing I wanted to do was see my reflection because I knew how bad it was and I didn't seem to know how there's any way to fix it. And so I went to work early before it got light. And I came home and I did everything I could to avoid seeing my reflection because I already knew that there was something there that I wish I could change. The beauty of the Holy Spirit is that if he's already speaking to us about something in our life that we would see in our reflection, then he's already taken the step that he needs to do to invite us to a place of obedience to follow him into improving that area in our life. But for some of us, we're like that well-known story in the Gospel of Luke with Mary and Martha. You know the story, they went on their way. Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Her sister, Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. She was too busy. Doing really good things for Jesus and for his disciples. So she went up to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister's slacking? Make her help me. But the Lord said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary, and she's chosen the good portion, which could never be taken away from her. And there's a lie of the enemy in our world today that the more we accomplish, the better off we are. And there are times in our life that that's true. And there are times in our life that's a lie straight from the enemy. There needs to be a time in our life where we purposely set aside time to look at ourselves in the mirror, to look at the Word of God, and allow him to show the reflection that he sees into our life. Ephesians chapter 5 gives us a great guide for how to do this. It says, look carefully then how you walk. Purposely think about this, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time, because the days are evil. Don't be foolish, but be understanding what the will of the Lord is. There's actually a passage in the Old Testament, thousands of years old, that talks about this same issue in our life of busyness and and having too much to do. It's found in the book of Haggai chapter 1, and it says, now therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You've been really busy, but in the eternal scope of things, not much has happened. You eat but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Doesn't that sound like our world today? We have more devices and things that improve our time, and we are running harder and faster than we've ever ran before, and we're all tempted to become rats in this rat race of life, doing exactly what it said we do. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You, look, you looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, it blew away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with their own things. Thousands of years ago, God's people were too Busy for the things that matter most. And the house is in ruins because of it. We're too busy to listen to the Lord. Real quickly, this, this is a whole nother message, but it's something I want to touch on before we go, and it's this idea of a different starting point. For some, in our world today, Christianity is not about the reflection of the image of God and how we are to conform to that. We come with preformed ideas of how God is to be and how he is to reveal himself, and we define God by the image that we've already created of how we believe we should look. It's happening in politics, it's happening in families, it's happening all over the world. It used to be that in our culture and in Western cultures of civilization that we would come to God and we would get his revelation of who he is and the way that we, are, we would live our lives would form into the obedience of the image that God was created in. From the very beginning of time, God defined the roles that we were to fit in In light of the image of who he was. And from the earliest days of our faith as disciples of Christ, who we identified ourselves was not based on what we thought of ourselves, it was based upon how we reflected the image of the God who was already in existence, who is preeminent to us, who is there from the creation of time for all of eternity, who never changes. But in our world today, we have decided that in order for us to look right in the mirror that we see, we have to change the preconceptions of who God is and how He operates in order for us to feel like we can even look ourselves in the mirror to begin with. In relationships, in our finances, in our jobs, it's in all areas of our life. We have decided that it's much more comfortable to have a different starting point to this whole conversation so that really what we end up doing is not coming to do the will of God. I fear in many ways we have come to make God do our will. And very quickly, apathy comes. Very quickly, other things take priority over our relationship with God. And we have a whole different point of reference for all the things that we see about God in our relationship with him. And it's a whole nother series we could do in talking about this. But the fact of the matter is, James assumes for us that we come, as we talked about earlier, and we fall down before God who is holy and pure and just and perfect and who has set in alignment the way the world works. And we come and we come to hear Him and to see Him and to feel His presence in our lives and, and we conform ourselves to His image. Be transformed by the renewal of your minds into the image that he wants to reflect in your life. And the danger for us as human beings is that we turn that completely around and we want God to do our will and then we'll follow him. And the picture that our world gets of faith is very different than the picture that God wants them to see. So I just want us to take a couple of things away from this time. First of all, I want to encourage us to to look for God as he is without preconceptions, without the, without the methods of our culture dictating who God can be and who God can't be. Let's just come to him as he is. We sung in worship today to come just as we are. Let's allow God to come just as he is so that we can see him in his fullness and not in maybe the way we want him to be seen. As we come to behold him as he is, let's make sure we take the time every day to take two minutes, five minutes 20 minutes. There's no time limit on this, but take some purposeful moments to look yourself in the eye. And I believe that in those moments, the Holy Spirit will be there too, and he'll look you in the eye as you look him in the eye. And he'll whisper the things into your heart and mind that no one else could say. And James says something really simple happens next. It's not complicated. It's not rocket science. But when the Holy Spirit speaks, we just do what he says. We just do it. It's as simple as that. And yet you and I look back in our life and how complicated we make it so many times. We're humans. We're fallen. We're weak in so many ways. And yet we worship a God who calls us into his image and into his presence. Let's stand and we'll close in a word of prayer. God, you've revealed yourself perfectly through your word. There's no doubt that the scriptures claim that you are the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Every power on heaven and on earth and anywhere else is under you. You're everywhere, all at once, in every way that you need to be. There's no shortcomings in your character or in your personality or in any part of who you are. You are pure and holy in every way. And that pure, holy love revealed Himself in the Scriptures and through the life and death of your Son, Jesus, who invited him to us to come unto Him, to cast our cares before Him and follow Him. And in our passage, Lord, this morning, we're reminded that sometimes in our walk of discipleship, it's just easy to do it a, a different way, our way. And then wonder sometimes how we've gotten off the path that we used to be so a part of. And I just pray, Lord, today for each and every one of us here, our, our spiritual disciplines and the way we approach God are, are no doubt night and day different in how we do devotions and how we pray and where we pray and how long we pray, and and everyone does it different. I hope we do it different. But Lord, help us not to miss this this time of self-reflection, this time where when we hear about God and hear about his glory and his holiness and his plans for our life and his desire that we live a life of purity and, and righteousness before him, and the Holy Spirit points something... He says, what about this? Or you need to stop being involved in that. Or, you know, we're going to talk about next week. There's people all over this world who are hurting in ways we could never imagine. And you're going to look yourself in the mirror every day and, and not do anything about it and be okay? Well, it may be the hardest thing that we ever do to take those minutes and just say, Lord, here I am where am I going? What am I doing? What is life all about? What do you want me to be about? Where are you sending me tomorrow, next week, next year? What about eternity with you? Can I take two minutes, five minutes and ponder that? I pray, Lord, you'd help me in my own life to take time for these things, it's so easy to be apathetic when, you, when you're in the ministry all day long, when you study the Word every week, when you take these t- times to help other people through times in their life where it's hard to take time to slow down and listen. I just pray, Lord, that in our life, however this looks like for us, may you draw us, Lord, closer to yourself. And, Lord, this is where you take the reins now. The sermon's going to end We're going to go about our life. We're going to go back into our routine of how we live life. And I pray, Lord, that we'd be sensitive to your spirit as we go. We love you, Lord, and we worship you. One day we'll spend all of eternity with you. What a blessing that's going to be. And, Lord, we just dwell simply before you today, just asking for the grace to do whatever you call us to do. And we'll forever praise you in your wonderful name. Amen. For those who have the time, we still would love to have you stay for coffee and cookies.